Well, good morning, Cornerstone. Uh, a few years ago, I had an amazing thing happen to me. Um, I go to meet with a buddy of mine named Josh Bedore to grab some coffee. And I'm running a little bit late uh, to grab coffee. And so I uh, get on the phone. I'm like, hey, Josh, just so you know, I'm going to be like five minutes late. He's like, no problem. I'm already here. Got a table I'm waiting for you. Um, so I'll see you when you get here. And so I show up to this coffee shop, and uh, I walk in the door, and I, you know, pan the, the, the crowd, and I see Josh Bedore's giant shoulders. Okay, Josh is a uh, CG Camp Gladiator instructor. Do we have any uh, CG fans in here? We got any? No? Okay. Uh, poor Josh. So, so he's a Camp Gladiator instructor, so he's just ripped, okay? He's like the strongest dude on the face of the planet. I see he has his uh, dad hat on, his, his camp gladiator dad hat on, and uh, I walk up, his back is facing me, and he's talking to some guy that's sitting with him at this table, and, um, which doesn't surprise me because Josh, for those of you guys that don't know Josh Bedore, he's just well-known and well-loved, not only because he is a uh, camp gladiator you know, instructor, but also because he's like, at this time, Cornerstone and every other church's drummer, all right? So he just gets around everywhere. Everybody knows Josh. Every single time I'm hanging out with him, people like come up to him and, and say what's up. So I'm not surprised that he's talking to this guy. I walk up to him, and just to be a punk, I just grab my thumbs and I dig him into his massive traps, okay? So I'm just like giving him a deep tissue massage, all right? And so as I'm giving him this deep tissue massage, I look at this guy, and he's looking at Josh, and he looks back at me, and then he looks at Josh, and he looks back at me like, who the heck is this guy? I'm a little bit annoyed that Josh hasn't introduced us, so I just put my hand across the table. I'm like, hey, my name's Gabe Kinsley. I've known Josh for a long time. It's really good to meet you. And then all of a sudden, my brain just shuts down. It just stops. Like, it does not understand what is happening. Because as I have my hand, okay, in this random stranger's hand, and as I have my left hand on Josh Bedore's shoulder, all of a sudden out of the corner of my eye, I see Josh Bedore walking from the bathroom. <laughs> and so for the first time, I look down at who I think is Josh Bedore, and it's a guy I've never met in my life. <laughs> and he probably thinks the FBI has found him, you know, or the IRS, because I'm just digging my hands into his back. And I literally am so embarrassed, and I rip my hand out of the stranger's hand, and I'm like, oh my gosh, I am so sorry. I thought you were this guy, Josh. I'm introducing Josh to these random people. <laughs> Super awkward. Another story. I'm at middle school camp, and um, I'm with the middle school students. It's first day of camp, and so the director gets up on stage, and he proceeds to tell everyone at camp, what the rules are, everything works. And then at some point he says, hey, calls one of his counselors to come up to the, to the front and tell the story about the airplane. And she's like, okay. So she comes up, 19, 20-year-old girl. And she gets up on stage, gets on the mic, and she's like, yeah, so um, I, I'm from Missouri or Montana someplace, I don't remember. And she's like, I had to take a, a flight out here to camp, um, you know, because this is where I'll, I'm going to be living for the summer as a camp counselor. And she says, she, she gets on this flight, and it's a completely full flight. So she sits down 
Um, she's got the aisle seat. There's a guy in his 40s or so sitting in the middle seat. And then there's a, a woman in maybe her like early 70s sitting at the window seat. She says about 15 or 20 minutes into this flight, um, she decides to grab her book that's in her backpack in front of her and this giant bag of caramel corn, okay, a Ziploc bag of caramel corn that she's brought with her. And so she, uh, she pulls out the caramel corn, she grabs her book, she puts her tray down, she puts the caramel corn on the tray, she opens up her book, she eats caramel corn while she's reading her book. And she says at some point, she gets a little bit tired reading her book, she puts her book down, she puts her head on the little headrest, and she falls asleep. She has no idea how much time goes by, but she's woken up probably by like turbulence or like getting the head nods, you know, you guys get those on the plane. She wakes up, and she's shocked. She's shocked. Because no longer is her caramel corn in this clear Ziploc bag in front of her. It's on the tray of the guy sitting right next to her. And he has a, he's got his um, uh, a magazine out and flipping through the magazine, sticking his dirty hands into her caramel corn and eating it. And so she's like awake. He doesn't know she's awake. She's kind of watching this. And as he's eating her caramel corn, she's getting more and more mad. And so at some point, she decides, you know what? I'm going to let him know I'm awake, and I'm just going to stick my hand in my caramel corn and get a handful. So she reaches across, puts her hand in the, in the Ziploc bag, grabs a handful, eats it, and looks at him. And she expects at this point, he's going to be like, oh, my gosh, I'm, I just helped myself fill your caramel corn. I hope that's okay. You know, I didn't think that was going to be a big deal. He doesn't. His eyes get huge. And he sticks his hand into her caramel corn, grabs another handful, shoves it in his mouth, and eats it, right? Looking at her with, you know, like laser eyes. And she's like, what? She decides to grab another handful of caramel corn. She sticks her hand in the bag, and as she's grabbing caramel corn, she feels a crunch down by her side. She looks, her bag of caramel corn had fallen in between her hip and her armrest. She's eating his caramel corn. This is what happens because of Costco. We eat all the same food, right? <laughs> Most awkward and amazing moments of all time. Why in the heck do I tell you those stories? It's because there are moments in life when we think we know who it is that's right before us. And yet we're totally wrong. There's moments in life when we're sitting next to somebody and we think we understand what it is that they are doing. We're totally off. We have no idea which is exactly what happens with Jesus and the people he's with in the passage that we're going to be looking at today. That Jesus stands before this crowd of people that don't understand who he is, right? They look at him, they don't understand why he's come into this world. They don't understand what it is, the great meaning behind what it is that he's doing. In the passages we're going to look at today, Jesus is going to make a proclamation to the whole world. This is who I am. This is why I've come into the world. This is what I'm doing for the world. And really what we're going to see today is that God has been throwing up these giant signposts all throughout history, pointing, pointing to Jesus, Emmanuel, God in the flesh. Signs all throughout history from the beginning of time that says, hey, I have a plan for you and for this world. And I, I'm going to tell you how he's going to come, what he's going to do, and who he is. And so we're calling this series Long Expected Jesus because we're going to be looking at God's prophecies and foreshadows throughout history and how they're fulfilled in the life of Jesus. So my hope for today is this. If you're here and you're struggling, maybe in your faith, 
Or maybe you're, you're for the first time in a place where you're willing to look at who Jesus actually is. I hope that today you would be inspired, that you would come to understand that Jesus is real, that he's good, that he loves you, he's always known you, he's always had a plan to come after you. And for those of us that have been walking with Jesus for a while, it's my hope that you would learn something new about him. Even the apostle Paul says on the, at the end of his life, he says, I just wanna know Christ, Jesus, Messiah. I just wanna know Yeshua more. I pray today that all of us come to know him more. So let's read our two passages, one from Exodus and one from the book of John to discover how really they're one story. They're one and the same. They're meant to be read together. And so this is Exodus 16.1. Moses has just rescued the Israelites, right, from, from Pharaoh, from the Egyptians. And they're wandering the desert, hungry and thirsty, and they're about to throw in the towel. They just want to go back. 16.1, it says this. The whole Israelite community set out from Elim and came to the desert of Sin, which is between Elim and Sinai on the 15th day of the second month after they had come out of Egypt. In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, if only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food that we wanted, but you have brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. Then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. Fast forward. Jesus has come to the earth. He's just fed 5,000 men, which would have been 5,000 households, which was most likely like 15 or 20,000 people with women and children. He miraculously feeds them with a few loaves and a few fish. Many of you guys know the story. And now the crowds have tracked him down the next day because they want more to eat. So here we are, John 6, 25. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they said, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered, very truly I tell you, you are looking for me not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Then they asked him, what must we do to do the works God requires? Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. So they asked him, what sign will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Once again, they want food. Jesus said to them, very truly I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me and you still not you still do not believe. You don't understand who is standing right before you. All right, before we get into the deep meaning of this passage, I want to go back throughout history to show how amazing this moment is, how special, how profound this moment in time is. It's so cool. In order to understand this chapter in God's story where he feeds the 5,000s, we, we need to go back to the very beginning 
And so in the beginning, God creates humanity, and they try to find life in running away from the author of life, right? Adam and Eve. And sin enters this world, which, which leads to brokenness, broken relationships to God, to this earth, to each other. And right from chapter one, God gives us a prophetic word for how he's going to redeem that which has been lost. It's a giant signpost to the world. This is what's going to happen in the future. God says this, I will send a seed of a woman to crush the head of the serpent. Have hope. The work, the serpent, the work of the serpent one day will be undone. It's going to be destroyed by a savior of, of the world that's going to come through the seed of a woman. And the story moves on, right, to Noah. Noah comes along, and he highlights the gravity of the world sin, how messed up we get in just a few chapters, right? How serious God feels about rape and, and murder and all types of evil. But then he says this. Puts another giant signpost. I'm going to save this world through a vessel, a lifeboat. That God doesn't give up on humanity. One day, inside the vessel of Jesus, he will make a way for all of us to be rescued. And then God's focus moves away from the story of the world and the world's depravity and moves into one man, one specific place on the planet from which our, the Savior will come and how he's going to do it through the life of Abraham. And it says in Genesis chapter 12, God tells Abraham, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to a land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. God says, look, Abraham, through your life and through the life of your son Isaac, and on a very specific place on the map, I'm going to drop a pin on a very specific place, another giant signpost for what I'm going to do one day through the life of Jesus. I'll never forget hearing the story of Abraham and Isaac as a little kid. And... And, you know, the Sunday school teacher walks through how God says, hey, or yeah, tells Abraham, I want, to, I want you to take Isaac to Mount Moriah, and I want you to tie him up and sacrifice him on this altar to me. And, and that an angel of the Lord shows up, tells him, hey, don't do it, don't do it. Right? And I remember the, the, uh, the, um, the, the uh, children's pastor being like, isn't this such an amazing story? And I remember being a little kid like, no, this is a weird story. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm a son. That would freak me out if my dad tied me up. He's like, all right, here it comes, buddy. You're like, that's, that's not a great story. It's scary. And I, I shelved that story as a little kid up, up in the area of like, that's bizarre and, and not a great story. And I just left it there. And I'll never forget being with Gene and Brian in uh, Jerusalem on the Temple Mount tour with this woman named Hannah, which by the way, if you ever have the opportunity to go with Gene to Israel, you have to go best experience of all time. Not just that, if you want to know more about the kind of the things that we're talking about today, get his book, okay? Thanks for that. Yeah, no, you. That wasn't planned. I actually found this right when I was coming up. I was like, ooh, 20 bucks, and I thought that'd be great. Anyways, but I'll never forget hearing this story and freaking me out. And now here we are on the Temple Mount and, and Hannah's teaching us all these amazing things. And at some point she stops, she says, hey, you guys know where we're at. We're on, at this spot called, called Golgotha. Golgotha is the very place where Jesus was crucified. And then she says this, but you want to know 
what Golgotha was called before it was Golgotha. Mount Moriah. Mount Moriah. The very exact place that Jesus was crucified is the exact place where God tells Abraham to go and sacrifice his one and only son, but instead stops him and says, don't do it. I will provide the sacrifice. I will provide the sacrifice. And I'm gonna do something that man can't do. I'm gonna sacrifice my one and only son on this exact same hill to save this world. A giant signpost for all of us to remember. A story that we would tell, that I'm telling to this day. And I was blown away. And that weird story got shelved and like the best story of all time. I love the story of Abraham and Isaac. But God's story continues. He's not done with signposts, right? Because Abraham has Isaac, like we talked about. Isaac has Jacob. Jacob wrestles with God. His name is changed to Israel. Israel has 12 sons. 10 of those sons don't like his brother Joseph. They sell Joseph into slavery. They take him to Egypt. Joseph rises into power in Egypt and saves his brothers and his family in a time of famine. And because of Joseph's power, those 12 sons become 12 families, and they grow in number, and they become the 12 tribes of Israel, also known as the Israelites. And the Israelites thrive, and they grow into a mighty people, and the Egyptians get freaked out. They're like, they're too, they're too powerful, and so they enslave them, right? They enslave the Israelites. They oppress them. And so God raises up Moses to rescue his people. And once again, he plants another few giant signposts for all of us that point to Jesus. If you guys remember the story, it starts off with Moses, like, who are, who are you? Who, who are, like, we've lost track of God. It's been hundreds of years that we've been oppressed. Like, who is this that's talking to me through this burning bush? And he says, I am that I am. That's who you're talking to. Go tell Pharaoh, I am that I am, wants him to release his people. Right? And so Moses shows up, tells Pharaoh to let his people go. He doesn't. And so the, the plagues are unleashed. Pharaoh still doesn't relent until the final plague. And that's where it gets weird again. There's another weird story, right? Where the angel of death at night goes and kills all, the, all of the firstborn sons except for the firstborn sons in the homes that have the blood of the unblemished lamb wiped above the doorpost. Once again, a giant sign pointing to our Messiah, our Savior, that through the blood of the unblemished lamb, we will, all of humanity would live. Which leads to Pharaoh allowing the Israelites to flee, and it's in the desert that God places another giant signpost, feeding the people with bread from heaven, a.k.a. manna, which is what we're talking about today. And Moses leads them right up to the border of the promised land, and the land promised to who? To Abraham the land with that very special hill called Mount Moriah, setting the stage for a very important time in history when a very important baby will be born on a very important mountain, right? Or to go to a very important mountain called Mount Moriah with a very important job to do. And so Moses dies. Joshua leads the Israelites into the promised land, which ultimately leads to this era of a united king kingdom being 
uh, led by kings. And first you have King Saul, followed by King David, followed by his son, King Solomon, which leads to the split in the kingdom to a northern and southern part, followed by the time of the prophets, warning the northern part, like, hey, if you guys don't turn back to God, you're going to be certainly destroyed. They don't. They don't listen to him. So what happens? The Assyrians come in. Assyrians come in and wipe out the northern kingdom. Now you see the same thing begin to happen with the southern kingdom and the tribe of Judah. Once again, with the prophets warning them of their assured destruction, they don't relent. They don't turn back to God. Babylon comes and destroys, takes the Jewish people back to the beginning, back to where Abraham started his journey. And now the stories of Daniel and Esther arrive once again this time. And this time God is placing a ton of signposts pointing to Jesus through the prophets. Brian's going to talk about some of these in a few weeks where they start prophesying about how a baby's going to be born, where he will be born, when he will be born, what he will do when he's born. And that's when Cyrus of Persia destroys Babylon, allows the people of Israel to go back home to this special land, this promised land, which leads to Ezra and Nehemiah, telling of, of how the, 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 the Israelites made the same journey that Abraham made many years back to the land the Lord God had given them. Now enters Alexander the Great, who conquers the entire known world, unifying everyone underneath the language of Greek, Followed by Rome taking over the entire known world, creating the very spectacular Roman roads and a system of commerce. And now check out this map. All of a sudden, you begin to see why God chose this specific hill on the map at this specific time in history to tell the whole world about the good news of his promised Messiah because the promised land is the bridge between three major continents with a unified language and a unified road system to get out the most important story and the most important message the world has ever heard. It's the same message that we hear from the angels in Luke 2. Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. Today in the town of David, a.k.a. Bethlehem, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah. He's the Lord. This will be a sign to you, another signpost. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. 4,000 years, all the stories have been pointing to Jesus. From the beginning of Adam and Eve, they come to fruition. They become real, and the bread of life is born in a little town called Bethlehem, which literally means house of bread. And so why bread? Why does God feed the Israelites so many years ago with bread from heaven? And why does Jesus say that the whole manna thing, that was all about me? Again, another signpost pointing to me. The true bread from heaven. Most likely for many reasons. But today I want to talk about three. First and foremost, he comes as bread because, in my opinion, he wants to be your sustenance. Some people don't know this, but God actually tells us exactly why he feeds the people manna uh, from heaven in Exodus, or not in Exodus, but in Deuteronomy 8. Check this out. He says this, remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years to humble and test you in order to, to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. He humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna 
which neither you nor your ancestors had known. Manna literally means, what is this? They're like, hey, what is this? Manna. To teach you that, get this, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. And he keeps going. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land with brooks, streams, deep springs gushing out into the valleys and hills, a land with wheat and barley, vines and fig trees, pomegranates, olive oil and honey, a land where bread will not be scarce and you will lack nothing when you have eaten and are satisfied. Praise the Lord. Your God, for the good land he has given you, be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God. Do you see what God is saying? So cool. He first points out, I am the one who provides for you. Every single day, I am the one who provides for you. I gave you bread so that you would trust, not the bread, you would trust my word. Because man does not live simply off bread, but off every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. And what does John say in John chapter 1? Speaking of Jesus, in the beginning was the word, and the word became flesh. God says, I'm giving you manna, not that you would trust the manna, but that you would trust my word. The word became flesh, and it's him, it's Jesus that you actually need. And do you see what happens in the story where Jesus feeds the 5,000? They come to him, and what do they want? They want his bread. More bread. And he responds with this, very truly I tell you, you're looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and you had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils. It's not about the manna, but for food that endures to eternal life, which is the son of man. Jesus is saying the same thing that is said in Deuteronomy. I am your sustenance. I am what you really need. I am what will fulfill you. I am what will make you whole. I am what your soul desires. I am what will give you eternal life. And here's the thing, that's easy to understand when you're in the wilderness. When you will surely die without God's provision. When you struggle in the wilderness of addiction. And you think, God, if you don't provide for me today, like I'm in big trouble. Like not just tomorrow, like every single day of my life, I need you, I desperately need you in this barren and dry land. Without you, every single day, I'm going back. Every moment, every time I wake up, I'm screwed without you, God. Like, I desperately need you. But God says this, I didn't just feed you in the desert so that you would need me in your darkest hour. It was actually to show you that you need me also in your times of blessing. Look what he says. Don't forget my daily provision because there's a day when you will enter a land with brooks and streams and deep springs gushing out of the valleys and hills, a land with wheat and barley, vines and fig trees, pomegranates, olive oil and honey, a land where bread will not be scarce. He just described America. He just described Boulder County, right? Where we have, praise the Lord, in and out cheeseburger. I eat there three times a week. Praise the Lord. Finally came to Colorado. And we have the Flatirons Mall. We have P.F. Chang's, my other favorite place, right? And we have hospitals and banks on every corner. He says, if you're not careful, you will wake up and you think, I don't need God. Don't ever forget man doesn't live off bread alone. And the greatest gift you'll ever receive is the bread from heaven. It's Jesus. And isn't this the world's definition of Christmas? Every commercial is about the things that we have to have to be happy. When the truth is already, we're drowning. We're drowning in good stuff. We're drowning in comfortability. In a land that's flowing 
in milk and honey, and yet we still think we need more. And God's message of Christmas is you will never have life to the full without me. Again, I'm what your heart desires. I'm what your soul longs for. Even when you've had your fill and you're still empty. It's because you need me. God comes as bread from heaven to make the statement, I am your real sustenance. Secondly, he calls himself bread because he wants to be your purpose. He wants to be your purpose. My wife has become an amazing baker of bread. She's an amazing baker of bread. And it had nothing to do with COVID. It was years before COVID happened, okay? I know that became like the cool thing to do during COVID. But we watched this um, documentary on Netflix called Cooked. And there's one episode called Air. And Air is all about bread. Actually, here is a picture of her amazing bread. Isn't that good? Yeah. I'm not kidding. She's real good at it. Um, but in this documentary, it's fascinating because it's, bread is so simple and yet it's so profound. All you need are three things to make bread. You need wheat, water, and air, aka naturally occurring yeast found in the air. And when you combine those three things, the fermentation process begins, the gluten is broken down. If you're really good, it will have a crust on the outside and ears, that's a thing, you want to have big ears. But in all seriousness, you'll have a loaf of bread that contains the essential nutrients to keep you alive. What humanity has been eating since the beginning. Shelby's greatest joy in making bread isn't eating it herself. It's giving it away. It's giving it to our neighbors. It's giving it to our friends. It's giving it to our kids as they rip it apart and dip it in olive oil and vinaigrette and watching them eat it. And one of the things I love about the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000 with the loaves is how he does it. Because he could have said, hey, everyone, close your eyes, put your hands out, and boom, there's a fish in one hand and bread in the other. He could have done it that way, but he doesn't. Instead, he says, hey, disciples, I need your help. I want you to help me disperse this bread. And it's one of the most hilarious stories of all time because he turns to the disciples, and there's, what, 15,000, 20,000 people, and he says, hey, how are we going to feed these guys? How are we going to do it? And they get super like condescending. They're like, oh, let me just pull out, you know, a year's worth of wages out of my pocket, Jesus. Yeah, let's just go, you know, with the giant truck and load up enough bread for 20,000 people or find a baker that's going to be able to just make enough bread for all these people. And it says in verse six, it says this, he asked this only to test them for he already had in mind what he was going to do. He already knew what he was going to do, but he wants to teach them a profound lesson. This is what he says. Lesson number one. I'm God. I do the miracles. I make the manna fall from heaven. I'm the one with the power. But secondly, I want you guys to know that I want you to join me in dispersing this power. In dispersing the good news of Jesus. And I remember thinking as a young dad, who am I to teach my kids about Jesus? I remember thinking, you know, in, in my early career, working at Jamba Juice, like, who am I to spread the good news to these people? Like, I'm a sinner. I'm messed up. I'm just jack as jacked up as they are. Or being in college, like, how am I going to lead people to faith, right? How, how am I going to share my faith? I lack faith, struggle with believing. And that's exactly Jesus' point. He says, Gabe, I do the miracles. It's not your job. But will you join me? Will you join me in dispersing this good news? Will you join me in passing out these miracles? I'll do them for, through you. 
And so if you're here and you're a young dad and maybe you're like, I don't even know where to begin to be like the spiritual leader in my family, that's okay. Will you pray to him? God, if you don't do the miracles, I'm in big trouble, but I'm willing to be used by you. And if you're, you know, college student and you feel like you're the only Christian on campus or at your job, you're the only person that loves the Lord at your job, just know it's not on your shoulders to the miracles, to do the miracles, but would you pray to him? Hey, God, use me. I'm willing. You got to save people, but I'm willing if you want to use me. Give me opportunities to speak to that person who's struggling in, that, in their marriage. Give me the opportunities to speak to that person who's struggling in their health or in their addiction. I think Jesus comes as bread because he wants to give you guys purpose. He wants you to join him in spreading the bread of life, which leads to my last point. Why did Jesus come as bread from heaven? Because he had to be broken so that we could be put back together. If you read the whole passage in John, you'll notice John points out some amazing giant signposts. When Jesus is feeding the 5,000, it says it's during the time of what? Passover. And when the people approach him, looking for more bread to eat, he refers to this Passover. Jesus makes another prophecy. He plants a giant signpost to everyone there listening. And what does he say? Very truly, I tell you, speaking of Passover, unless you eat the flesh, the son of man, and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. I will raise them up on the last day. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your ancestors ate manna and died, but whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. And that future event is when Jesus is with his disciples in the upper room celebrating Passover together. And he says this, Luke 22, he took the bread, he gave thanks, and he broke it. And he gave it to them saying, this is my body given for you. Do this. Every time you eat this, remember me. How my body's broken so that you could be put back together, so that our relationship could be put back together. I'm undoing all that's gone wrong all the way in the very back, the beginning. I'm crushing the serpent's head today so that we could be together again. And the blood above the doorpost of the unblemished lamb, that blood is my blood. Every time you drink of this cup, you remember my blood. That you stand righteous, not because of anything you do, but because of my blood that's over you. Do you see who he is? Do you see who is standing before you? Do you see what he's actually doing? He is your Messiah that's always been told about. From the beginning of time to rescue you, to lay down his life for you, that you could be together with him for all of eternity. In closing, Ban, you could come up here. How do you know? How do you know Jesus as your bread from heaven? He tells you. Verse 35, Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me, will never go hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. It's that simple, and yet it's that profound. That you come to him in the quiet of your heart and you say, all right, I don't understand everything. I don't understand all the details in the Bible. I don't understand all the things that you're doing. I understand enough to say, I'm coming to you, and I trust you, Jesus. I trust 
who you are. I trust that you've always had a plan. I trust that you love me. Plus, I trust that you want a relationship with me. I trust that you died and you rose again. You ascended into heaven. I trust you're going to come back and get me one day. If you're here today and you're in a place where you're ready to say, okay, I'm in. I'm willing. It's that simple. And for those of you that maybe find yourself in a place where you've run away from God, my prayer is that today you would be willing to come back. You come back and trust Jesus as your Messiah. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I thank you for your story. It's so profound to me, and yet I I know so little, so much more to know. And I thank you, Lord, for the ways that you have been showing us all along that you have a plan for our life. You have a plan for this world. You have a plan for our future. You've always had a plan for our past sin. You've always had a, a, a plan for the things we struggle with today and what's gonna happen in our future, the ways that we'll screw up to come. And we praise you in this season where we get to see you come to this earth in the form of a baby. You're the great I am. And yet you come to this earth in the form of flesh and blood. I praise you for that reality. I thank you for who you are. I love you. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.